You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Spookulative Evolution. Hello, David. Release the new series of Spooky, Will. <laughs> and hello, listeners. Welcome, welcome to Spooky. Spookulative <laughs> Evolution. Back for 2020. It's back. We have a new series of spooky episodes where we are going to look at the speculative evolution of certain monsters, myths, and creatures. Yes. This series, we are doing sea monsters. Oh, and uh, boy, are we excited. Yes. Now, a quick intro for anyone who might be new to spooky. The point of this series is to explore speculative evolution. You know, when we do thought experiments, you know, uh, uh, mental exercises around the concept of evolution, how things could evolve, how they might evolve, alternate evolutions for things. It's just thought experiments. Mm -hmm. But we're applying it to monsters. Because it's October. Because it's October. It's and the month for monsters. <laughs> We've done two series before. Mm -hmm. The first was classic movie monsters. Yeah, vampires, werewolves, fish people and zombies. The next was monsters of Greek mythology. Hydras, harpies, gorgons, and chimeras. Yeah. So now we're back with sea monsters. Hey, if you want a more thorough discuss discussion of speculative evolution, we did it in episode 39. So the, the goal of these episodes is that each episode, for all of the remaining Saturdays of this month, we will be taking a look at a particular sea monster and look at how could something like that evolve? How could something similar to that, something that resembles the description for it, evolve? How could its features, its behaviors, you know, how could we achieve something you know, resembling or a approximating this monster only using the tools of natural selection and evolution? Right. The same way somebody might go, how can I build this creature out of Legos? Yes. We are going to build this creature out of processes of natural selection. So the goal is to be fun. We aren't making any definitive statements about how these creatures would have evolved or what they actually were. No, don't don't cite us. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is our version of this monster for the spooky verse, as the fans have dubbed it. Oh, so good. Right? I'm just, makes Four so more creatures happy. coming up. For this series, we're doing sea monsters. This is a group that is kind of self-explanatory. It's monsters of the deep sea. Typically, these are the monsters that... Stories were told by sailors, you know, brought back to shore during the early days of sailing when they'd come back with tales of giant creatures, mysterious beings. We're going to take a look at four of the classics in that category, starting with probably the most iconic or at least the most described and definitive of the monsters, the Kraken. The Kraken, or as I've recently learned, some people call it the Kraken. The Kraken. Yeah, I have heard that before. Yeah. The Kraken, most of us have heard of the Kraken, if only for the quote you used at the right. beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Release the Kraken. What was that? Clash of the Titans? Clash of the Titans. 2016 or something, yeah. the, the film? And, oh, and there was the classic Clash of the Titans that originally used that line. Oh, was, the, that, was that line in the original mm -hmm. one, too? Yeah. Oh, well, how about that? With the old stop-motion claymation Kraken. Very nice. Which we will talk about, because that does have to do with our... A bit of our understanding of the history of this creature, but a basic intro for those who may not be familiar with the Kraken. Yeah, we always start spooky with delving into what is our source material? Yes. What, what is the information that we're using to base our thought experiment on? Which is especially helpful for me because I'm here to learn. Yes. <laughs> Will does the background on this stuff. I get to sit here and think about stuff. And so this history is also what will fuel our speculative evolution later on in the episode. So let's meet the Kraken. Typically, the kraken is a giant cephalopod, octopus, squid. It is the one you classically see attacking ships with the, t the arms coming up out of the water and surrounding the ship, yep. pulling down masts and pulling down sailors and breaking the ship in half. It's the monster from the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie. It's the classic monster from 2000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yes, 20,000 even. Yes, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> um, and has been in lots of other films in one form or another, books and series and games, all so on and so forth. Yeah, there's a Dungeons and Dragons version of yep. the Kraken. Basically, anytime you see a giant squid or octopus, it's a reference to the Kraken. 
And that is what most of the stories describe the Kraken as throughout history. Though there are some that were a bit more vague, that it was a giant creature, but they describe it almost more crustacean-y with like, you know, horny, armored, spiny limbs. But those are kind of rare. Typically, it is very clearly described as a giant octopus or squid, sometimes even cuttlefish. Oh, interesting. Yes, which we'll get into more. Now, the history of the Kraken is not as old as most people might think. It's not ancient Greek. Oh. It is not a Greek monster. Even though it was used in the movie Clash of the Titans, which is a Greek tale, the stories of the Kraken does not quite go back that far. The story the movie Clash of the Titans is retelling, their version of the story, is really the story of Perseus, who is the character in the movie. And in the classic story of Perseus, he does indeed fight a sea monster, but it is Cetus, a different sea monster, not described as a cephalopod, not described as a octopus or squid-like creature, just a big sea monster. And that's the sea monster that he kills, spoiler alerts for anyone who hasn't heard of or seen Clash of the Titans, that he kills with Medusa's head by turning it to stone. Mm. That a princess princess Andromeda was going to be sacrificed to, not the Kraken. The movie used the name the Kraken. Right, for, for brand marketability. Yep, and so that famous quote, release the Kraken, is just cinema. Gotcha. So it's actually still old, but a bit more recent, going back to the 1100s from Tales of Norwegian Sailors. Oh. So that's really when the Kraken starts showing up is from the waters of Norway, which has huge sailing tradition. You know, that's yep. a big part of their history. So it makes sense that they would bring back big sea monster stories. And a lot of the earliest stories of the Kraken come from then. And when they describe the Kraken, it is not just like a really big octopus. When we think of the Kraken, we think of like, you know, something ship sized, something big enough to take out a ship. Most of the old stories of Krakens describe it as the biggest thing in the ocean. Right. It's not a Kraken. No. It's the it's Kraken. the Kraken, and it would, like, dwarf a blue whale. Right. This is a, a, a deity of the yes, sea. Yes, exactly. This is truly monstrous. Beyond gargantuan is what I've heard them describe right. it as. And indeed, uh, uh, in the current, at least, edition of Dungeons & Dragons, the Kraken is described very similarly as just this monstrously colossal elemental beast, a yeah. force of nature. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, you you do not fight the Kraken. You do not, you know, ever see the entire creature. Right. When Only you... if you're, you know, level 20 characters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very much what these old stories are like, is that when the Kraken surfaces, you, the part you see of it is massive, taking up, you know, like a mile of surface, and it is but a part of the creature. Right. So old stories make the Krakens, make the Kraken just ungodly big. And these stories kind of continued as normal sea monster stories and actually got more attention in a certain way in the 18th century. So like the Kraken stories have a long history of being taken seriously, uh, which is another kind of interesting thing about sea monsters versus the other creatures we've talked about. Like there was a time vampires were considered to be real. There was a time werewolves were considered to be real. And there are certain cultures that believed in zombies but it's not like it wasn't a widely held or longly held you know i don't know the time limit for each of them but sea monsters there were people who believed very very readily in sea monsters just a couple hundred years ago mm -hmm. and that it was like a legit worry when you went out to the water so sea monsters have had a slightly more interesting place in our our, our human history our, our storytelling history because we were legitimately scared of them for a long time. In the 18th century, you know, so 1700s, the Kraken started getting more attention from scientists, where it was being considered as a scientific fact oh. for a while. Carl Linnaeus describes the Kraken <laughs> wow. in his writings, and he includes it among mollusks and cephalopods. So, like, he is definitively saying, yes, there is a monstrous cephalopod out there, the spe a species of kraken. Wow, Carolus Linnaeus, famously the father of biological classification. Yeah, so like, cool. 
The Kraken held a place in semi-modern science for a while, to the point that multiple people were quote-unquote experts on the Kraken. A bishop from Bergen, Eric Pontopatin, wrote The Natural History of Norway in 1752, which describes a ton of sea creatures and, and ocean life, and has a section on the Kraken. So once again, this is official documents. This is like you going to the library, grabbing a book on animals, and flipping to the section about dragons. Yeah. That's what it's like for Krakens during this time. And the reason this is super cool for our purposes is they've collected detailed descriptions and eyewitness accounts of Krakens and sightings and what it's like. Wow. So this is like an old school cryptid. Yes. This is indeed an old school cryptid with a just ridiculous history. So what are some of the things they describe? Because it's really interesting. I can't wait. Some of the first things they say is that... Once again, when you see the kraken, you are typically only seeing a small portion. Mm -hmm. You don't usually see the entire animal. One of the descriptions they give is that its back appears to be a mile and a half in circumference and can look like a series of small islands with the parts that are breaking the surface. Cool. And there's often many stories of people mistaking the kraken for a series of islands. So like seeing a small little archipelago and thinking it's land and then approaching the kraken. There are some descriptions that describe it with points or horns, you know, so it sometimes has kind of ornamentation on it. Some of these describe to be the size of the masts of sailing ships. <laughs> Arms powerful enough to take down ships, pretty standard crack and stuff. But the really interesting thing is that they actually describe the the behavior of a kraken surfacing, that there are signs, telltale things that you can see and expect when a kraken comes to the surface. I got a lot of this from uh, Sir William Jardine's book, a Scottish naturalist who wrote The Naturalist's Library, and he also had a section on the Kraken at the end of his naturalist section of sea life. Man, I have an image in my head of like a 1700s version of zoo books yeah. with the Kraken. It's The book is called The Mammalia and Amphibious Carnivora, and the last two sections is the Kraken and Sea Serpent. Wow. Right? Wow. And he details a lot in here, which was very handy, that when a kraken is about to surface, you know it because if you're fishing, you'll start catching abundance of fish as they are being chased to the surface by the massive creature coming up. Interesting. And then, once it surfaces, you'll immediately be able to notice a very foul stench. They often describe it having strong, foul smells which it evidently uses to attract fish. And these smells have been attributed to its droppings, which it uses to bait fish in and then feed upon them, which then makes more droppings, which attracts more fish. So like that it is using its own feces as bait. Really fascinating. Right? Wow. And that in these descriptions, the danger of the Kraken actually isn't it attacking the ships, though there are many stories of it attacking sailing vessels. For these accounts from from, uh, these two researchers? Um, (laughs) Philosophers. Philosophers. (laughs) um, They say the real danger is when the Kraken dives back down because it will create a whirlpool that will pull any vessel in the nearby area down with it. Oh, okay. Now, at this point, we didn't believe it was a Kraken. You know, they thought it was a species of animal. Right. They were trying to make sense of these stories In the light of the actual behavior and natural history of a real creature. Absolutely. And by this point, it was very common to see the kraken referred to as a cuttlefish, as a giant cuttlefish. Now, I don't know whether the term cuttlefish became, at that point, was more common term for cephalopods. Right. Maybe that meant octopuses and squids in general. Maybe that was a more popular term Hmm. at that point. Like, there was even one paper I found that was titled Colossal Cuttlefish, and it was just describing the stories of the Kraken. And these were, at this point, a bit more reasonable. You know, so they were recognizing that some of the more historical tales may have been more exaggerated, but they were still taking them as solid evidence, functioning under the mentality of, well, you can't just discount this many eyewitness testimonies. Right. You know, there has to be something to this. Even though we've never found a cuttlefish 120 feet long, which is the size... Uh, cited in one of the books they still 
could not just write it off when so many sailors were coming back with stories. Right. And they even had tales of sailors in the Indian seas, like native sailors carrying hatchets on their canoes to cut off the arms of these giant cuttlefish when they came up to attack their boats. Right, right. And then uh, presumably bring them back as spectacle. Yes. Now, part of what also fueled this belief in the giant cuttlefish, the colossal cuttlefish, is that we have giant cephalopods. Mm -hmm. There are indeed very large specimens of cephalopods. Now, the biggest cuttlefish doesn't get nearly the size described in any of these, or even human size. Uh, The giant cuttlefish, or Australian cuttlefish gets to be about 20 inches long at the mantle, and which is about 50 centimeters. So that's the main portion of the body, not including the arms, which can you know, adjust their length. And with an overall weight of about 23 pounds, or just about 10 kilograms. It's a big cuttlefish. So it's big. But no kraken. But no kraken. We do continue to get bigger as we visit some of the other groups. The giant Pacific octopus is the largest octopus, with adults on average weighing about 33 pounds, or 15 kilograms. And an arm span, so when they stretch their arms out, of 14 feet, or not quite four and a half meters. Oof. Yes. No, the ones we had at the aquarium would very regularly have an arm span equivalent to my own. Yeah. Uh, we had three to four foot long GPOs, is the short hand for them. And so when yeah. they spread their arms out, they could have matched my six foot arm span. Wow. Big octopus, but no kraken. But no kraken. Though there are... Records, the largest measured individual was up to 110 pounds, 50 kilograms. Wow. And a span of 20 feet, 6 meters. Wow. So, like, they can be 10 foot long, and there are reports that there could be larger, but not confirmed. Okay. But yet, no kraken. Still not a kraken. The true culprits that get compared to the kraken and that are blamed for the origins by many, though there's no way for us to know that this is where these origins came from. It could just be that someone saw an octopus and was so freaked out about it, they started having nightmares of giant octopuses out in the ocean. There was, there's a YouTube channel called Monstrum, which does this part of our episode, Mm -hmm. but that's their whole series, is the history of monsters, and it's amazing. They have an episode on the Kraken, and they talk about, uh, they tell a story of Victor Hugo, in one of his books, just going off on a tangent for one chapter about how much he hates octopus. (laughs) Octopus is because of how creepy they are. But the giant and colossal squid are the biggest living invertebrates today, and they are the biggest cephalopods today, and they do get to kind of monstrous sizes. (laughs) Many people blame them for likely origins, or as the likely origins, of the Kraken stories. The giant squid, Architeuthis ducks was first discovered as remains that washed up on a beach in 1853. Right, like a carcass. Yes, this is the first time it was scientifically recognized. But sailors have had interactions with these animals, and this still happens with fishermen today where they will hook these animals because they typically live very deep down, like 1,000 to 2,000 meters down. Yeah, very deep down. Deep down, but if you're fishing deep down or one happens to be coming more shallow and you hook it, they can be brought to the surface and they typically don't survive the ascent. Right. They depressurize too quickly and it kills them. So there are stories of people briefly encountering giant squid and then they either fall apart or they die. So they don't get the giant squid. But these are squid that can reach lengths of 16 feet long, 5 meters on average. But maximum lengths have been described for 40 feet long. So 12 to 13 meters yeah. for females and only 30 feet long, 10 meters for males. And we're talking from the tip of their mantle down to the end of their arms. Yes. And for this one, it's also including the two long tentacles. So fun fact for anyone who hasn't listened to our cephalopods episode. Episode octopus, 16. Yes. Episode 16, we discuss octopus have eight arms. Squids have eight arms and two feeder tentacles. The long tentacles that they shoot out to grab food. And cuttlefish also have those feeder tentacles. So down to the end of those long tentacles, we could have a 40-foot squid. Which is... Now we're getting kraken-sized. Yep. Because that's the, that's the length of a whale. You also get more monstery features in that, for many of them, their suckers can be lined with tooth-like structures. 
and on the colossal squid, which is similar size to the giant, but not as long, yet heavier. Okay. So it's more massive. It is the most massive of invertebrates with a confirmed weight of up to a thousand pounds, almost 500 kilograms. While our giant squid typically only reaches about mm, 600 pounds, you know, not quite 300 kilograms. Measly. Um, The colossal squid's tentacles are ended with hooks, swiveling hooks like the size of a tiger's claw. So these are pretty monstrous. Now, our understanding of them was not good for most of the time we've known about them. Because we usually only found them washed up on the beach as carcasses. Mm -hmm. Typically not in one piece, typically beat up. And eventually, we are, are science, as science developed, we learned to stop taking the word yes. of people coming back from sea as reliable descriptions mm-hmm. of things after many, many centuries of people coming back with stories of mile-long cephalopods. Yeah, and so it's over time, the idea of the Kraken diminished, but there was still a lot of mystery surrounding these giant cephalopods, the giant squids. So... There still was a little bit of mystique. Like I even remember as a kid, there being a little bit of like, well, there are giant squids and we don't know how big they get. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how they hunt or what they hunt. We've never watched them hunt. We've never been able to study gut contents. We've never been able to document it. So, you know, who knows? So like, yeah. even within our lifetimes, there was still a little bit of that like, oh, you... You can't rule it out. Right. We don't know. They could be 100 feet. Yeah. So, the the though we never wouldn't call it a Kraken anymore, those kinds of stories almost persisted even to that point, which is not, like, good from a scientific perspective, but it's kind of <laughs> admirable, just, like, the Kraken has really lodged itself in our psyche. It's an enduring story. Absolutely. Well, it also fits into that cool uh, history of... Stories of people out in the world mm-hmm. can not only be the basis of myths and, and, and legends, but can also actually lead us to really fascinating realities about the world. Absolutely. That for a long time, you know, if you kind of parse out the god squid yes. <laughs> kind of features, no, people would have been coming back with like, no, I actually there is... Some sort of really giant squid out there mm-hmm. that ultimately we are able to confirm and sort of zero in on what which of these stories actually are telling us facts about the ocean. Absolutely, and you know it's fairly reasonable on how a giant cephalopod could get turned monster because there are accounts of people being quote unquote attacked. Usually, it's an octopus you know, either reacted to a person or was curious and grabs a scuba diver. And there are the Humboldt squids, which don't get as big as a giant squid. They're only about as long as me, six foot long, so two meters. Uh, But they are aggressive hunters and have been known to attack people that get in the water with them while they're hunting at night. Yeah, when they're in hunting mode. Yes, while they're looking for food, they if a hand gets in the way, they've been known to come and take a bite out of it with that famous cephalopod beak. Oops. That was one of the big questions with the giant squid was how did it hunt? There was lots of speculation on whether it was an ambush predator, whether it was a pursuit predator. It chased its food down. Some thought that it might have used its long tentacles to like sneak into schools of fish and grab a fish. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Until we got video footage in 2005, only, 20, uh, only 15 years ago, we finally got actual behavioral footage and found that they are basically just big squid. They are fast, they're agile, they're active hunters, it seems. So if you've ever seen a little squid zipping around like a torpedo, just scale that up 20 feet (laughs) (laughs) and you've got a giant squid. So that's kind of the background for the Kraken. You know, the stories told about it, but also the potential influences for it. Yeah. So now we got to evolve our own Kraken. What a task. This one faces us. Right? This one's interesting because we've been given the animal, basically. Right. Our our options really are to either pick a different origin point and convergently evolve cephalopods. cephalopod. Or (laughs) start with cephalopods and see how do we get something that is a cephalopod that fits the image of the Kraken. Exactly. 
And I think that's probably going to be the way to go. Yeah. Well, because it's it's funny because, like you said, we've been given the animal, which means we get to be a little more specific and yes. we get to, to sort of expound a bit on the diversity of this group and how you might get something out of that group. Absolutely. And there's lots of cool stuff. Uh, there was a lots of parallels that I immediately thought of when going through the stories of the Kraken. Uh, the first one that jumped out to me was when they said that the a surfaced kraken can often be mistaken as islands. Right. And if anyone knows anything about cephalopods, one of their big things is camouflage. Yes. Like so, you could absolutely have a giant cephalopod, specifically octopus or cuttlefish, which can not only change their color but the texture of their skin. Sure can. Could come up and hide as a floating island and potentially go mostly unnoticed yeah so if we're starting with cephalopods mm-hmm. right this is our evolutionary origin let's let's all right cephalopoda yes is from whence we will originate this creature we have octopuses we have squid we have cuttlefish and uh, uh the groups that we haven't named yet are the shelled cephalopods yes indeed so today we have nautiluses mm-hmm. of which there are very few but those are your they have coiled shells and a kind of a squid face sticking out of them and then in the fossil record there's all sorts of diversity of shelled cephalopods yeah with curly straight curved corkscrew shells and everything in between absolutely now when you were talking obviously the the, the big parallels sound like squid with their long arms and tentacles, octopus, like you said, with that versatility, cuttlefish, which it's fantastic and fascinating. Right. But you also mentioned a few times the stories of the Kraken having horns. Yes, very Or true. sort of tough structures. You mentioned that a few descriptions of it describe it almost like a crustacean, mm-hmm. which makes me wonder if there's not an angle to come at this from a shelled cephalopod if not necessarily a fully nautilus shelled but there are cephalopods today that retain portions portions aspects of the shell like mm-hmm. the, the cuttlefish has that quote cuttle bone yeah and i believe squids have, have like a cartilage structure right 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 so i i, I kind of like this idea of a cephalopod that retains some of that harder structure mm-hmm which I think is a, a good angle. There was also the point to be said, because my idea with the horns, because I also was like, all right, I, we got to touch on that at least. Right. How do you get horns? Is if you've ever watched a, like a giant Pacific octopus or, you know, th- similar octopus, a lot of times they will produce little horns with their skin over their eyes, little protuberances. Oh, you got a good point. They can like raise these, not just bumps, but almost spines that would be super soft if you touch them and so it could be something where they can produce those horn looking structures but they're not actually permanent nor horn interesting you know that uh, the coming at it from the camouflage angle is interesting because it also all right i'm gonna go in a little bit of a weird direction that's what we're here for that's this listen if we're talking octopuses mm-hmm. and we have a creature with a variety of differing accounts of what they look mm-hmm. like and how they how they seem and what parts they have, octopuses are pretty expert at making their bodies look different from what their bodies look like. I mean, there, there is the mimic octopus. Which is what I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. of. Is this is an octopus that will variably shape itself to look like a fish mm-hmm. or a sea snake or a chunk of coral. And there is kind of a fun thought to be had of like, all right, maybe what you thought was one giant tentacle was actually several tentacles. Yes. Together in the shape of one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe what you thought were horns were either the arms acting like spines, acting like that, or you, the texture change that mm-hmm. you're describing. Maybe this is an, a, an animal, you know, it, it's it's a common behavior across many animals to make themselves look bigger and more intimidating than they actually are. Maybe our spooky kraken is a cephalopod, octopus or some other, that has behaviorally evolved to take on more monstrous features than it actually has. Yes, absolutely. 
you know, it, it could be an intimidation or a defense mechanism. And I like I like that because it also gives the variability to the stories and stuff, which right, is right. nice. It's not a variable necessarily variable as a population. It's their individuals are variable. Yes. <laughs> it's an octopus or something similar and it just keeps changing itself. Now, I had another idea while going through the notes this time that jumped into my head when I mentioned the Humboldts, which I didn't have in my notes initially. I'd forgotten about them until we were recording. And then I remembered one of the cool things with Humboldts and other squid is that they're actually semi-cooperative. Ooh. They move as groups. And there's some evidence, at least from my understanding, that Humboldts may use at least some form of like pack hunting or kind of cooperative hunting. Okay. Uh, some sort of gregarious, gregariousness. Yeah. The, there are certain things that they can flash their colors, you know, bright white and they seem to do that right before an attack, similar to like sailfish that seem to signal their attacks to avoid colliding with another Humboldt squid okay. as an attack happens. So there's some social interaction going while they hunt. And there's lots of squid that school together. Yes. Even if they aren't hunting as a group, they're moving as a group. And so if we had some social, some large social cephalopods that... When they surfaced, you only saw part of the body because the rest of it was beneath the water because you're really only seeing the backs of like five or six out of the dozen. That's true. You could have a kraken that is really about 20 giant cephalopod. And I kind of like, so combining that with what I said before, the idea of a a squid or octopus that would wrap two, three or Mm -hmm. four of its arms together to look like one big arm. If you have a bunch of them, then yeah, you could have sailors coming back going like, no, no, I I know Phil says it looked like multiple arms at once, but I saw seven of them. Mm -hmm. They were definitely enough, definitely one squid's worth of arms that we saw. Yes, exactly. And so you could also, you could get cool stuff. I also like that because the the fish rushing rushing to the surface makes me think of whales. Right, I was going to say that's that's cool because that's a thing that actually happens. Mm -hmm. There are um, certain seabirds will actually look for that when yep. whales or dolphins will end up herding fish toward the surface. Because for a whale or dolphin, pushing your fish toward the surface is backing them against a wall. Yeah, that you have cut off that route of escape because they can't fly. Right, they can't move. They can't go any further up. And there are birds that will hang out and wait and look for that. And then they'll dive in mm-hmm. to grab the near surface fish. So we had like pack hunting squid or cuttlefish they could be hurt actively hurting fish to the surface like that yeah i was actually i was thinking of social behavior when i was talking about octopus stuff and i was like well i'll hold off on that because i don't want to invoke social behavior whether if there isn't any Mm -hmm. but that's good to know yeah well like and cuttlefish don't school the same way squid do from my understanding because they like squid are torpedoes right when they move they move so they can actually there's lots of squid that live during the day down deep and then swim thousands of feet or maybe not thousands hundreds of feet up to the surface to hunt at night and then swim hundreds of feet back down but lots of cuttlefish are like i live on this reef and this is the reef i live on and i hover you know so though they're not schooling cuttlefish very often are social Right. Living in groups Mm -hmm. to at least some degree. And they have big mating displays when mating season comes around where they'll be competing with one another. So you'll have like dozens of cuttlefish all together during a big mating event. They're not typically cooperative. The my friend at the aquarium said that the difficulty with keeping cuttlefish is that they are both social and cannibalistic. Ah. So you can't have a single cuttlefish alone because it will it's unhealthy for it. it will become its version of depressed. But if you have a whole bunch, you just have to every now and then restock the cuttlefish that are in there because they'll eat the small ones. Oops. If they get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and so there is a sociality. Octopi or octopuses are really the one that is notoriously antisocial. Does not hang out with other octopuses. Yeah. But cuttlefish and squid, there's there's room for social behavior that we could build on. Okay. Interesting. Now, we're talking about group living, mm-hmm. you know, possibly explaining some of the vastness of this animal, either with threat displays mm-hmm. or with multiple of them being together. 
but I also suspect that we would be doing a disservice to our evolved Kraken if they weren't at least actually pretty big. Yes. No, because we can still have them be sizable. Which brings up the question that I've been wondering this entire discussion. What selective pressures drive invertebrates, drive cephalopods to get large enough that a person goes, wow, that's real big. Deep sea gigantism. That's, I, I was thinking deep sea gigantism. Mm-hmm. Or the other thing I thought is when you were talking about how the, the, the origins of the stories are Norwegian. Yeah. Northern waters. Yes. yes. Where you're cold. So we've talked about in the main episodes every now and then we'll talk about body temperature regulation. Mm-hmm. And although I don't know how often we've used this term, there is a term known as gigantothermy. Yes. Which is when an animal is big enough that it is retaining heat better just by virtue of being huge. Yeah, that now you have more mass so you don't cool off as quickly. Right. Just because it, physics doesn't work that way. So being big can be helpful for thermoregulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, is that the same reason that... That is one of the for reasons for giga- deep sea gigantism is that deep seas colder temperatures... So that would fit the Norwegian waters as well as deep waters. Right. And it could also explain, you know, maybe they're deeper in the tropics, but they're shallow. They, they can hang out in shallower waters yeah. up north. Well, and especially if they're doing the the smaller squid thing of living down deep, but then coming up at certain times to hunt. You know, it's yep. at night is when they hunt, where you're more likely to not tell what you're seeing very well from a ship. Another reason that they give for deep sea gigantism is, is food scarcity. Okay. Uh, that at least from like initial observations, larger organisms tend to do better with not having regular food that they can make take advantage of the long distance between meals better than a smaller organism that would starve very quickly. Gotcha. Okay. And this also could benefit that if you're big, your babies can be big and a bigger baby can also survive better in that environment, both from being able to travel farther in this food-scarce environment down deep, because the deep ocean's like a desert. Right. But also, that would reduce predation. Yes. Having big babies makes them less likely to be eaten. So there's a benefit from defense, even if the squid's not being eaten, which it is by sperm whale. Yep. Uh, But even if it's not being eaten by most animals, its baby would be... But if it's bigger, it might have a better chance. Yeah. Which was the other thing I was going to bring up is we've been talking about big size. We've been talking about threat display. We've been talking about camouflage, which are all things that suggest that there's things to be afraid of, which raises the question of, well, what does an enormous Kraken-sized organism have to be afraid of? To which uh, I, I, I will posit three potential answers. Yeah. One, whales. Whales. All right, sperm whales. The sperm whales, we know hunt giant squid. We have bellies full of squid beaks. Yep. Scars on the face from squid tentacles. Like, we know it happens. Yep. And sperm whales are the largest macro predators. The largest, uh, like, toothy predator. Like, I'm using my teeth to catch food. (laughs) In the world today. Yep. Option number two, other krakens. Yep, cannibalism. You, You just mentioned it there. They use, I think, in one of the videos... One of the very few live videos we have of a giant squid was attracted by a dead squid. Yes. I remember. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah. that video. And then a third one, which I'll throw out there because it's fun. I refer to the stories of uh, uh, megafaunal trees. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And fruits, which are plants whose seeds and fruits seem to have been adapted to be transported by large herbivores that don't exist anymore. Yeah, that are too big for our animals around today. Also related to the maybe this is true story of the North American pronghorn, mm-hmm. which some have suggested may be as fast as it is because there used to be a cheetah style ca- big cat in the continent before they went extinct during the Ice Age that may have driven those pronghorns to those speeds that they still retain. One might posit that if these Big kraken animals evolved during a time where they had bigger predators to worry about. It could have driven that selective pressure to be big, which they retained even in the absence of those ancient predators. Exactly. Yeah. So like if they were dealing with Megalodon sized predators. Right. And I was going to say our options thus become 
depending on how far back we yep. want to go, we can go back just a few million years and use Megalodon as our excuse. Yep. Giant shark. We can go back to the early Cenozoic and use early whales like Bacillosaurus. Mm-hmm. Or if we want to get real fun with it, we can go all the way back to the Mesozoic and say Mosasaurs and giant Ichthyosaurs. Yeah. Which could also be a fun uh, challenge. And in fact, you could even suggest these are animals that were driven either and, either or and blah, 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 to big sizes and living in the deep sea. Yeah. By the presence of other large carnivores. You could also work the social aspect into that. Schooling is very often typically a defense against predators, not a tool for hunting. That's true. So you could have had big cephalopods that then had to respond to bigger predators and started living in a group together. And none of these have to be mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. It could be that it starts out one way. Yeah, I start getting big because of that big predator. Right. And then I moved and it turns out I can survive better in the deep sea with my big size. And now I'm actually doing pretty well down here in the deep sea. And these different selective pressures are kind of compounding mm-hmm. on each other. Yeah. So, it, so there's definitely a lot of good reasons why they could be big. And like we, we can make them a bit bigger. There was one paper I found that said, though the max sizes we found for giant squid are just over 10 meters, a 20 meter squid is not unreasonable based on what we understand about them. So, like, there could be 20-meter giant squids Mm -hmm. as far as we understand. We haven't found them. Right. But that measurement is not something that scientists, or at least that paper, balked at. Right. Theoretically, this doesn't seem physically ridiculous. Exactly. Now, we've talked about squid, we've talked about cuttlefish, we've talked about octopus, but we've also talked a lot about mimicry and texture changing Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, which I don't know how much we see that in squids. We see lots of color changing. Right. And so they use their color changes, but from my understanding, it's typically communication. Right. It's usually a a show either as a group or two individuals within the group. And then cuttlefish, cuttlefish are super cool. Yep. But when I think long tentacles, kraken style coming up out of the water, cuttlefish tentacles, to my knowledge, tend not to be particularly long. Yeah, well, not, not... Well, and that actually goes for both squid and cuttlefish. Like, octopus has really long arms compared to its mantle. So the mantle is the body of a cephalopod. That's what you would think of as the back of its head, but that's really the whole body. And then the face is surrounded by the arms. And so octopus have a fairly small mantle and very long arms. Squid have a long mantle, fairly short arms, but then long feeding tentacles. And cuttlefish are kind of more on the squid side Mm -hmm. uh, with just not quite as long a mantle. And I'm sure that this is my general average knowledge. I've not done measurements. Right. But cuttlefish do still have those feeding tentacles, those long uh, hydraulically powered tentacles that they can shoot out to grab food. Okay. So really the octopus is the one that gives us those long reaching arms. But if it is, uh, if we are going with the arms, another thought I had about it is we always see in the pictures in the movies them raising out of the water like cobras Mm -hmm. and wrapping around the ship, which is not how it would work. They'd be slithering up the side of the ship because an octopus can't hold its arms weight up out of the water, neither, unless they're very small. A big one wouldn't be able to raise it up like a cobra, so it'd be more coming along the walls of the ship over the deck. Yeah. Spilling like a reverse oil spill. (laughs) Now that brings up the question, uh, uh, moving into, okay, now we have possibilities for why it's big, why the, where the stories come from, why those features come from. What drives a cephalopod to seemingly attack a ship? Yeah. This is a big part of the story here of the Kraken, the Kraken takes ships down and not like canoes, like Bit right, uh, 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 the Black Pearl. Mm-hmm. You know, taking down ships. What? Why would our creatures, our th- hypothetically evolved kraken cephalopods, do that? Yeah. Why would they mess with something so big? And I have a few ideas. Mm-hmm. A couple things in mind. Uh, number one, uh, I will draw from snakes because this is one of the things you will often hear is stories of snakes crawling into people's boats. 
to attack them, which, yep. of course, that's not what they're doing. Usually it's because they're trying to get out of the water. Yeah. Like, oh, I, uh, I'm tired of swimming. Here's a place yeah, to I'm go. Yeah, I'm too cold. I want to warm up. So it could be that our cephalopods want to leave the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's where we bring in our predator, you know, other krakens are getting them out there. Which, as uh, 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 it would have to be octopus if we go that route. Yeah, because they can. <laughs> They're the only one that can do that. <laughs> but then the other one going on the octopus route, that the first idea that I had is that octopus are notoriously curious. Yes, curiosity is really big. And uh, it, it could easily be, you know, I will, let's see what's up here. Yeah, it's, I, I'm not, it's, well, it's the, um, the investigative bite by sharks. Right. That wasn't a shark attack that you just reported in the news. It was a shark investigation. It came over and taste tested you. It felt you with its teeth and it tasted what you were and then it left. Uh, so it could be the Kraken's version of that. Uh, another idea, though, I had is fishing vessels where I'm in many of the stories oh. of like, you'll know the Kraken's up because you'll start catching more fish and you'll start seeing more fish on the surface. And today fishing vessels are, quote unquote, attacked by lots of animals, orcas and even whale sharks are known to go tear holes in nets and steal fish. So if you were pulling in a bunch of fish that the Kraken or Krakens wanted, you might be quote unquote attacked as they're really just trying to steal your catch, but they're pulling on the net, they're right. rocking the ship. You know, so maybe the stories of them sinking vessels are exaggerated, but the stories of them attack violently attacking vessel is really just them coming for a free meal. Right, right. And that makes me think, again, two different examples. One is the Humboldt squid, mm -hmm. which you pointed out, when trying to catch fish, will bite a hand if it oh, yeah. shows up there. And if you're a giant squid going for fish and a person falls in the water next to you, why wouldn't you be like, are you fish? Right, you're the size of a tuna. Mm -hmm. But then the other thought that, I, uh, that could come up is, uh, it's very tempting to bring in the real-life trait of cephalopods that they are very intelligent. I, and that, I like that because that also can go with the curiosity of, oh, is that a bag of food? And it could even be, potentially... A step further than that, you could have these Kraken cephalopods learn to associate boats mm -hmm. with food. Oh, yeah. And so they end up checking a boat. And you go, hey, do you have any do fish you have up fish? there? Anything? Are you fishing? Anything up there? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I like that. Which is very much like, well, it's why you don't feed the bears. It's, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's like feeding it's... wildlife is now they just associate wooden vessels with, yeah, maybe there's a free meal. Yeah. And so your boat kind of making its way over to the popular fishing spot might go, hey, is that a bunch of islands over there? Mm -hmm. And no, it's these, they're waiting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they also came up because they they know where the boats come mm -hmm. to fish. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot, that they're effectively ambushing fishing boats. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. And it could be that you could have certain spots or certain times of the year where they are where they come out out of the depths Yeah, that maybe they do spend most of their time down deep and then either at particularly prolific times of the year or we, we've used this excuse before during mating season. Absolutely. It could be that the Kraken is a group of cephalopods that have gotten together for mating season. Yeah. It's like a bunch of males traveling to the mating grounds, you know, or a bunch of ready to mate or already mated you know and now having to nurse eggs right females yeah either it could be a bunch of males like all right we got to get ready for our fights that we're mm -hmm. gonna have by fueling up on food or it could be a bunch of females going no we're gonna be making eggs we got to get ready on food yep. and if it's females we can make them bigger <laughs> yes we can absolutely and i love the idea of it's just the females become active and they risk coming up to the surface where there's more competition and where there's there's more predators up there. Well, and that also works really nicely if, if we are going that it's a, a group of them. If it's a group of, you know, recently or soon to be pregnant females stocking up on their fat reserves, they can be traveling together, you know, to move to the mating grounds, you know, if there's a specific spot. But also that could, another explanation for it could be a group spawning, which lots of animals do is they lay their eggs all at once so that predators can't raid a nest. There's too many nests. Some babies will make it. 
And so that's another reason they could be grouped together is we, we're going to lay our eggs at the same time. They don't spawn out into the water like other animals. They lay them in places, but still now we can all kind of protect our eggs as a, as a kraken instead of a individual. And that I really like because now we have a solid reason for threat displays. Absolutely. For shaping yourself to look more intimidating or for making yourself look bigger, yeah. right? You're, you're, you're being protective of yourself, each other, and your eggs that you're laying now. Yeah, so you could end up having a spot where any small vessel that comes above it gets suddenly threat displayed at. Right. And now we have another potential reason why they're trying to ward off the ships. Yep. It's like, yeah, you're going into their mating grounds. And it would make sense that they're congregating where all the fish are and all the food is. So they're getting in the way of these ships. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we've given a bunch of different reasons why mm -hmm. they could be encountering the vessels, but I like that. I like the I idea that a kraken is, a... is an intentionally congregating swarm of already very large cephalopods, mm -hmm. and it is their po probably semi-intentional, we are looking much bigger than we actually are, Yeah. group display. Absolutely, I love it. That kra Kraken's the name of the group, not actually yes, an animal. A Kraken of cephalopods. A Kraken of cephalopods. It's like a lek. Yes. That's that's a lot of fun. I really like that. All right, so so I, I'm, I'm cool with that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So which cephalopod uh, do we go with? I'm leaning towards octopus. Octopus? And I, now I know we're, we're breaking modern mm -hmm. octopus rules with uh, social behavior, which they don't typically do today. Yeah. But I can't, the versatility of display. It is very true. And, and those long arms coming up, that's really selling me on octopus. Now, to be fair with those points, cuttlefish, like there's a cuttlefish that pretends to be a hermit crab. That's true. <laughs> like cuttlefish also have the mimicry. They also have the, they have all the displays of the octopus, just a little less flexible bodies. They are, they, I, I don't know if cuttlefish nest in the same area, but they all mate together. And I feel like they do nest within like a, a, an area of each other, right. but I'm not sure on that. Uh, the giant cuttlefish I know has those big mating displays. There is another option here and we invoke the inherent incompleteness of the cephalopod fossil record. Yes. Of the squishy cephalopod fossil record and say that our Kraken is a relict member of a different group of cephalopods absolutely that perhaps combine some of these features that they have some of that uh, uh, uh displaying capability that we see in octopuses and cephalopods that they have those long tentacles which would especially be good if you're living down deep yeah you can stay in one place and reach out for food in the nearby area without having to expend as much energy one well, and, and something that i just thought of and i'd like i you know, you'll have to sell me on my own idea, maybe. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned early on the idea of the armored cephalopods, you know, that we could pull from some of those either modern Nautilus or some of the prehistoric ammonite and orthocone. Oh, yeah, the straight shelled. Uh, the straight shelled orthocones is what I just thought of, because we I mean, we don't know how long their arms were for the most part. Right. Uh, but. Orthocones were the cone-shelled, like long ice cream cones, some of them like six meters long. Massive. So if we got one of those a bit bigger, now that starts looking like a giant arm, as well as filling in the horns. Like if you see one of those shells pop out of the water, that's a horn spine. But if all I see is the silhouette of that coming toward me and then grabbing my vessel... I'm assuming that that's one arm, not an animal. It sh you sure could. Uh, I will say it's it's harder to hide an orthocone from the fossil record. It is true. They, they've got those big hard shells. That is very true. I mean, we have the deep sea helping us. That's true. If you're only coming into shallow waters really to mate and to feed every now and then, uh, or even if it's mostly just to mate, uh, then we do have the deep sea helping us against the fossil record that's true that's true i do like the the, the idea of I invoking invoking shared ancestry yeah. to allow us to kind of take bits and pieces of what we like oh yeah from the different groups 
and suggest we have a little bit of shared ancestry, a little bit of convergence mm-hmm. to create something kind of nautiloid-like, kind of cuttlefish-like, kind of octopus-like, basically is an evolutionary excuse for us to be like, yeah, it's got all the features we like of each of those It's things. very true. Yeah, like, there doesn't have to be one of the groups that's remaining, because Cephalopoda was huge. Yes. Massively diverse, and we only have a very... I mean, even though there's, like, you know, tons of species in the groups that are around today, we only have the four main branches, and that's, you know, really it. Yeah. So... Absolutely, it could be something that's stayed hidden because of their soft nature. Yeah. I do like that. Which is a lot of fun. I do I like, like that. our 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 mating season kraken of cutloctacones. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty happy with that. I like that yeah. a lot. I like that a lot. That's pretty cool. I like it. It's a group of threat displaying gregarious octopus or cuttlefish like cephalopods and since it's cephalopods like we don't even really have to explain what the males are doing doing we don't even really have to explain what the males are doing during this time because there may be some people who are like all right but you've accounted for the female as the kraken what about the males because some male cephalopods are like a hundredth the size of the female. Oh yeah, they could they could be there. Yeah, like the blanket octopus has a fairly large female. I don't know what the size is of a blanket octopus, but the male is minuscule. It is the largest size difference between male and female of any animal that I've ever heard of, and that's what I've always heard the record stated as. So yeah, we could have like little hitchhiking males. So it's it's only the females that you'd see. In fact, we could even invoke hitchhiking males to get some of that horn texture on the bodies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If the males are hanging on to the outside of them, all right, now you have little horns. Yeah, absolutely. I like that a lot. It's got it's got a little bit of the the male anglerfish yeah. thing going with it. Even if it's not a permanent attachment, we just suction cup to your back. And it's kind of got the, the male-female garter snake, where it's just a whole bunch of males hanging on. And yeah. then when it's time to mate, we all rush over and try to give you our... Our sperm packet, really quick. My other thing that I really like about this, and we haven't talked about it because it's not really part of the Kraken mythos, but if we are creating an octopus cuttlefish squid type thing that is making intentional threat displays, you know there's also a light show going on. Oh yeah, they're flashing. They're they're... changing colors. Mm -hmm. There's got the stripes going up and down, which is something that I, I humbly suggest we add to the Kraken mythos. Absolutely. Because that's cooler and more monstrous it'd be terrifying it's got this hypnotic display going as the tentacles crawl up the side or the arms depending on yeah what kind of cephalopod it is yep i like that a lot also another point for cephalopods is most cephalopods at least i guess another way to say is i don't know of one that doesn't die after mating Mm -hmm. uh for cephalopods mating is the end of their life right uh males die after they hand their sperm packet to the female, which is uh, located in the tip of one of their arms, a specialized arm that they just give to her. And then the females typically guard the eggs for however long, months, you know, weeks, I guess, for the smaller ones, and don't eat it all during that time, slowly starve to death, while also just naturally dying. Right. That's just the end of their lifespan, which could also tie nicely into the smell that is associated with surfacing krakens. Huh, is if you have a mass die-off and corpses <laughs> of rotting calamari at the surface yeah. that start attracting tons of fish. You could also uh, use that to explain uh, the theoretical scenario where a bunch of people go, no, we saw a giant squid thing, and then they go, oh, let's go out and find it, and they don't. Yeah, exactly. And it's not there. It's dispersed, and we find some smaller ones washed up on beaches. Yeah. But we never find a kraken. Very cool. Oh, I'm pretty happy with this. this Add is... it to the spooky monster manual yeah. that we're, <laughs> we're slowly creating. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, we have a, a a descendant of some ancestral cephalopod that lives deep down and the females come up to m- lay eggs and mate and travel as a large group known as a kraken. Yep. At which point they are both 
hunting aggressively to build up fat reserves and then aggressively defending the nesting site from anything that comes too close. Yeah, with all sorts of threat displays and, 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 and texture and color displays and things like that. Yeah, and if there's social during this they can be coordinating so that they seem like one massive organism right so instead of what would be one 30 40 50 60 foot yeah very big cephalopod looks like a cephalopod that is hundreds of feet wide that seems to just be everywhere at once that no matter where you go there's there's more arms over here yeah yeah oh i like that a lot very cool well there you go everyone First spooky down, the Kraken. The Kraken. More sea monsters to come. Hey, maybe some of our other sea monsters will be some of the predators that drove the cephalopods. I was thinking that. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't say because we haven't gotten to those. But oh, I was thinking that. We haven't. I don't know that we've ever actually done this. Connected connected to to, to create the spooky uh, shared universe. Yep, yep. uh, Which some of our fans have invoked this as a spooky verse of these these creatures living together which is the dream i mean that is that's that's my end all goal i'm doing it before i die so i yeah maybe we could invoke some of our other (laughs) monsters (laughs) so look forward to that listeners three more saturdays remain in this month of october yeah which means three more spooky episodes with three more sea monsters for us to tackle check in in a week for the next one stay tuned and we'll see you next time Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.